Welcome to Crossing Over, a conversation where we look and listen with curiosity for God's presence in the stories of sacred scripture and in our own lives. I'm Sarah Nichols. And I'm Daniel Lucas. We are. (laughs) With that. I'm distracting and then getting us back on track. And today's a no, 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 oh, come on. Of course I would do it that way. Today's a no edit episode. Because <clears throat> if you've noticed, they've been coming out slower than they should be and <sighs> sigh. So yes, trying something new. Yeah. So we're going to talk about the fourth and final chapter of Ruth today and hopefully wrap things up. Yep. Yep. All right. So should we, should someone read? Yeah. Do you want me to read or do you want to read? You read because I don't like my translation. Okay. I shall read. Um, I'm reading from Robert Alter's translation. Chapter four. And Boaz had gone up to the gate and he sat down there and look, the redeeming kin of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. And he said, turn aside, sit down here. So and so. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the town elders and said, Sit down here. And they sat down. And he said to the redeeming kin, Naomi, who came back from the plain of Moab, sold the parcel of the field that was our brother Elimelech's. And as for me, I thought I shall alert you, saying, Acquire it in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of my people's elders. If you would redeem, redeem. And if you will not redeem, tell me that I may know that there is none except you to redeem and I am after you. And he said, I will redeem. And Boaz said, on the day you acquire the field from Naomi, you will also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, to raise up the name of the dead man on his estate. And the redeeming kin said, I cannot redeem, lest I spoil my estate. You redeem my obligation of redemption, for I cannot redeem. And thus it was in former times in Israel concerning redemption and concerning exchange to fully to fulfill every condition. A man would remove his sandal and give it to the fellow man. And this was the practice in Israel. And the Redeemer said, You acquire it. And he removed his sandal. And Boaz said to the elders and to all the people, You are witnesses today that I have acquired all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kilion and Malon's from the hand of Naomi, and also Ruth, the Moabite wife of Malon. I have acquired for myself as a wife to raise up the name of the dead on his estate, that the name of the dead be not cut off from his brothers and from the gate of this place. You are witnesses today. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman coming into your house like Rachel and like Leah, both both of whom built the house of Israel, and do worthy things in Ephrathath, and proclaim a name in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, to whom Tamar gave birth by Judah, from the seed that this young woman will give you. And Boaz took Ruth the Moabite, and she became his wife, and he came to bed with her, and the Lord granted her conception, and she bore a son. And the woman said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord, who has not deprived you of a Redeemer today, and let his name be proclaimed in Israel. And may he be a restorer of life for you and a support for your old age. 
as your daughter-in-law whom you love has borne him who has been better to you than seven sons. And Naomi took the child and placed him in her lap and became a nurse for him. And the neighbor woman called for him a name saying, a son is born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He was the father of Jesse, father of David. And this is the lineage of Perez. Perez begat Hezron and Hezron begat Ram and Ram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begat Salma, and Salma begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. I just had you read it because of the names. I didn't want to do that. <laughs> just kidding. Nice job. Thank you. I once heard someone tell me a trick with naming, reading names. In the Hebrew, is just to read them with confidence, and then nobody knows you're mispronouncing them. It's so true. Which I failed to do somewhat on a couple of these, but you know, I didn't tell you that. No, it sounds I, like something I would say. It does sound like something you would say, <laughs> but I got distracted. No, it's fine. Uh, Obed. Yeah, Eved. Eved, worship, serve, servant. Yeah, slave. The humans were put in the garden to Eved and Shemar it, right? Work and keep it, or yeah. serve and guard it and, and an interesting word here that describes what happens when Ruth you put a Ruth and a Boaz together yeah it's one of my favorite Hebrew words <clears throat> it also is in a prominent in the uh, Exodus story where they're asked to be let free of serving or Eved uh, Pharaoh in order to go out and Eved hmm. Yahweh I mean, if we were, I know we're starting at the end here, but if you, if you mm-hmm. take that name and you start thinking about what it brings to the discussion and you, and you follow it all the way back to the first time it shows up, which, you know, I think it's a fair interpretive principle to go to like the first use. Um, even if you think about it in really mild terms, like the first use gives you uh, a trajectory, a beginning place for what the a beginning, a starting point for what a word is going to mean and how it's built off of. Because usually the first time it shows up, it's like, well, it's getting referenced back to or it's the meaning is building from there. Right. So the first time it's used, it is, is to describe what the human's purpose are in the world and that they're meant to live in service to creation, to one another and to God. And so this name, it feels like a really beautiful way to name that which comes together when Ruth and um, and Boaz uh, and Naomi, I suppose, when 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 they're all doing that with each other, when they're all serving and caring and guarding the other. Yeah. Boof. Yep. Is that the end of the episode? Yeah, we're done. Okay. <laughs> Just kidding. Um. Okay. Should we move back to the beginning? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that was actually a good place to start with Obed's name because it's just it stands out, and I had never caught that that was Eved before. Probably, mm. probably because I haven't read Ruth since I've become more familiar with Hebrew. So. Well, and the name, but the names do that all the time, right? We just yeah. think it's the sound you call out to get somebody's attention, which it might be that, but it would be like naming somebody Starbuck. Like, okay, did you watch Battlestar Galactica, the new one? No. Okay, so this Sorry. is this is a bit nerdy. 
the in the original Battlestar Galactica, Starbuck guy, in the new one, Starbuck is it's a pilot is a is a is a woman. And every time she'd pop on screen for like the first three seasons and they'd say Starbuck, I'd think of that green Starbucks mermaid logo. It was inevitable because that was my my like my association with what those sounds meant. And it took a bunch of time for that to move out of. Yeah. And so, right. I mean, the names function in here more like an indigenous naming convention, less like like a well, how how it works now in, you know, Pope post-european cultures or you know whatever i am i don't know you know i don't know okay i'm rambling yeah cheers yeah it's i mean we don't have it as much in our language but if someone's names their daughter charity sure there you go thank you you would have i mean we recognize that as a name as well but it immediately does some things in your mind that a name like sarah or daniel doesn't for us even though both those names are Hebrew names that have significant meaning in the Hebrew. So a, a native Hebrew speaker hears, hears the names Sarah and David differently than an English speaker does. Well, and when you name someone something, you know, like you're going, well, what's that mean? I want to give it a meaningful, a name full of meaning. So you're very dialed into it at yeah. the beginning. But over time, what always happens is there's a drift. So you have to intentionally tether yourself to what things mean in order to stay attached to them. Right. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Little ramble. Little second little ramble ran- of the day. Yep. Um. All right. So Boaz went up to the gate. Um, gates are significant in Jewish culture. It's you get this sense of gates being at the the city gate is where people gather. Mm-hmm. Uh, not everyone lives in the city, so people are coming and going through the gate. If you live outside and you have fields outside, any business that you need to do, you have to come in through the gate. Um, most towns only have one gate, so this is the place where people gather. It's where you're going to, if you're waiting for a person, it's where you'd wait for them, because if they're not in town, at some point they're probably going to come to town. So. These are central places it's where activity took place. They didn't have courts and uh, police stations or things right. like that. So activity happened here. This is, in a sense, a court gathering that Boaz is setting up with witnesses and the other person. And not because he's trying to like condemn this other person, but all the stuff that happens in this chapter has to happen with witnesses because otherwise... There could be questions about what Boaz is doing. Right. There's a proper way for all of this stuff to take place. Yeah. That when thought about in in a and when enacted, right? It's like most of our laws have the have the function of a safe and secure and protected society. Or good laws, um, or good societies have good laws that are enacted in good ways. Right. And so that's what's functioning out here is Boaz is trying to do a thing in an appropriate way so that everything is on the up and up. And so that the legacy of Naomi, Elimelech, Melion, and Chilion is protected appropriately within their culture. Right. So he's not cutting any corners here. He didn't say, you know, Ruth, just come this way and I'm going to use you and Naomi to get the parcel of land. Um, He's willing to risk it all. The whole scenario he's willing to put at risk to do it in the appropriate way. Yeah. And also... It made me think of Proverbs 31 again. 
which mm. we've already mentioned several times with Ruth. But um, verse 23 says, her husband is famed at the gates when he sits with the land's elders. So this is what's going on with Boaz here in Ruth is a direct, like that's what they're talking about in Proverbs 31 is that the gathering with the elders at the gate. Yeah. Um, it just was a thing that happened regularly. So my other understanding of the gates are that they don't function exactly always the way we understand them to always function. Like in our minds, <clears throat> and I guess our, I mean, Midwestern, um, suburban, urban, the fence is the function of keeping things in and out. And the gate is where things are, where it's porous, where you can, where you can go. It was, where did you go? You went to the gate. Like that was the, it was, it was a space of activity that had to do with the comings and the goings. Um, you could say one had to cross over it. <laughs> you could. <coughs> so this is where Boaz goes to wait for this other redeeming kin who is unnamed because they're less important to the story, which I, I just love that the fact that this character remains unnamed throughout, it makes it a little confusing at times. <laughs> Because the language, it keeps saying he, 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 you're like, which he is talking right now. Mm. Um, but one thing I was uh, thinking about was just how Boaz asks him to turn aside. That is not shuve. It's a different word for turning. So it's, it's not the shuving that we've talked about elsewhere in this discussion that Ruth and Naomi have continuously done. This is something different. Uh, so turn and sta- and sit down. <laughs> it's so-and-so that I read. It's a really weird phrase that is kind of unknown. They're just making a guess at it because it's only used twice in scripture. So they don't have, they don't have enough information to go off of it. And a guess is that it is just like means mute. It's almost like an intentional refusing to give this person a name oh. in, the, in the text. Um, again, it's a little questionable. Um, I think that, that little bit came from your boy, Rashi. Mm. So, hey, Rashi. uh, so sit down so-and-so. And then when he asks the witnesses, the elders of the town to do the same, everyone obliges Boaz, which I think it just speaks to how much authority and respect Boaz has in the culture in this, in this town. He clearly is respected that people are like, okay, we'll sit down, see what Boaz has to say. Hmm. Maybe we could talk about the word redeem. I don't know. Do we want to talk, we could talk about redeem or acquire. What's, yeah, what do you, yeah, I mean. Well, so the word redeem in various conjugations and forms shows up 14 times in this chapter, uh, which is not insignificant twice seven seven twice which is i mean man seeing something seven times isn't the most unusual thing but seeing something 14 times that's it's a lot of repetition of a word sure um the word acquire is five times in the chapter and then the other one that the other phrase that stood out to me was to raise up which is in there twice so this word redeem is is 14 times 
in the first couple are talking about this redeeming kin. And that's the that's the only name we get for him is that he this person has the option to redeem the kin. But when Boaz presents the opportunity to this man, he doesn't use the word redeem initially. He uses the word acquire it to acquire mm-hmm. the property. Um, we had talked about this in former weeks that along with the leveret marriage where a brother or a kinsman would marry the widow of their brother in order to extend their line, there was also an obligation to to redeem their their land so that it can stay in the family and stay with uh, in the clan, in the tribe. That word acquire is Cain. We talked about this. Yeah. You just talked about words and names. Um, that's Cain's name from uh, Genesis 4. It was the first time we see this word. So Cain's name means to acquire. Um, and so he's given this option to acquire this land. And then it says redeem. If you would redeem, redeem. And if you would not redeem, tell me so that I can redeem. Basically, it's like five times in one sentence. Um, but the first he uses acquire. I, I don't know. Does that... For me, that stirs something to me. Does it stir anything in you? I mean, I, I suppose the thing that brings up for me is what what is it that we owe to each other? And I mean that in the best possible ways. Um, so, like, what are the debts that exist between uh, fr- people of fraternity? We're we're all brothers and sisters, and there's there's bonds of love that that pull us together, bonds of responsibility that that keep us together. And, and he's named Cain in Genesis, right? Because after Eve gives birth, she says, I have acquired with the help of God, I have acquired a man. Yeah. And so it just, at least for me, um, thinking about it past it being just a word of function, it, it brings me back to that again, to Genesis, to that story of, you know, what does it mean to be in relationship and responsible to each other? So, that's, you know, um, I don't hear it. I don't hear it with any sort of layer of oppressive ownership and domination. Although I could understand how that would be understood or experienced that way today, right? When we look at this moment through that lens and we go, gosh, that's, why can't she just go do, why can't Ruth just go out? Why is she bound up in the societal rules? And, you know, well, yeah, why are any of us bound up by any of the societal structures we live with? One one answer is because it would be chaos. Um, And one answer, I suppose, is as you look at how culture society is changing right now, there are a lot of chaotic elements where things are things are shifting and it's hard to know what to do. (laughs) Right. Um, So order does provide something. Anyhow. Yeah. I was for me, I was thinking about just how... to acquire something is different than to redeem it. Hmm. That to acquire a thing implies possession of it in some kind of way. I have acquired this thing. It now belongs to me. But to redeem something means to draw out its goodness and help it be what it was supposed to be. Hmm. Regardless of how that impacts me. 
That's interesting because I don't, I don't, hmm. I don't hear them as being all that different. Interesting. The difference between acquire and redeem, um, in this, in in how we're talking about it here, I I'm thinking about it in terms of redeeming is bringing it back home. Where you, if you're redeeming yep. something, it meant it means it was lost and it is being returned, or it was, um, you know, you. I mean, this is a terrible example, but you redeem something from the pawn shop that you sent that you brought there to like try to sell. Sure. And so you sold it to them for forty dollars, and they're selling it for eighty. And you go back there, and you want to redeem it, you must pay the full price. Right. <laughs> I don't think that's ridiculous at all. I mean, I think that's actually exactly what's happening. It's just that instead of an item, it's land in this moment. Yeah, and a person. Well, yeah, but or a family, or a future, or the person's uh, been left out of it intentionally right. at this point. So, yeah, that's how I'm. I'm hearing them bump up against each other as a way of viewing what's happening. Yeah. And um, the framing being, would you like something new? <laughs> you know, would you like to acquire? Would you like to add this to your stable? Yeah. Um, and would you like to redeem this? Would you like to return this to its, to protect it? The other way the word's used is as an avenge. It's like re- the, re- the word redeemer the redeem- there functions yeah. as the avenger, um, <clears throat> which is super fascinating because then it flips it over almost as though it's like it's a protector. Who is a, and it even it does some things for the the ideas of vengeance, like vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and um, those all those notions where you have these, you have these words that redeeming and vengeance don't feel all that same to me, but to see here it's the same word, and what differentiates it is how it's conjugated and or who's saying it to whom kind of like a ved right like it's all over the word worship is all over exodus but how it's translated depends on well it depends on the translator but it depends on if it's being applied to god if it's being applied to pharaoh depends on if it's forced labor or right requested or yeah. and then it also sets up this notion that by the way worship is the thing you serve that bob dylan song like you got to serve somebody so worship is it's not like a, a thing you do on a day where you come in and you sing some songs and you eat some bread and you listen to some words and then you go home and you do whatever. It's a question about what sort of thing your life is aimed at yeah. listening to and enriching or and being enriched by. Exactly. Hmm, sorry. That's okay. For me, I just, I, I wondered if there's an intentional pointing towards Cain with the choice of this word here, acquire, um, without going too in-depth in the Cain and Abel story. I mean, we're all relatively familiar with it. It's kind of culturally. Um, even if you haven't read your Bible, most people know about right. Cain and Abel. The so, mark of Cain. Um, but it seems to me that there's something in Cain's personality that he wants to acquire something more. He wants to, whether it be acquiring God's approval or land or whatever it is, He's, he's grasping at acquiring something that he didn't have. And that feels very different to me than redeeming. So I, I had wondered if there was an intentional use of Cain here hmm. that to remind us of the difference between acquiring and redeeming. And I think that plays out for me because when... This this man, this redeeming kinsman, is like, yeah, I'll buy the land. Like, I'll look, I'll redeem this land. That just helps me. I can make more money. I can add to my estate. I acquire, acquire, acquire. 
by redeeming this land. But then the catch is thrown at him that, oh, it also comes with this Moabite woman that you have to marry. And then, by the way, your child with her will then inherit the land Hmm. in the child's father's name, not in your name. Right. And all of a sudden he's like, hmm. This is no longer me acquiring land. This is me redeeming something for someone else. And I'm not interested in that. Because he's not interested in serving, caring, guarding. Right. He's interested in his own future, his own, ready. That's what he says. It will damage my own inheritance. Right. Yeah. It will just, I think Alter says it will spoil my estate. Um, It will ruin corrupt it could be spoil destroy corrupt ruin hmm. um it's the word that's used of the earth in genesis six eleven. right that the earth has been corrupted and it's used throughout the, the flood narrative um it's also used of sodom and gomorrah interesting yeah so he's 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 not whoever this so-and-so is right the unnamed um First in line yep. is suggesting that, well, it's really, in, in how we're reading it, it's really explaining to us who Boaz, Boaz is and, or who Boaz is not, right? He's not, he's not a selfish man. Right. And he's not afraid to invest and to take what he has and use it to lift up those around him. Right. Yeah. Where is this other, this unnamed so-and-so? is was only interested in acquiring the land so interesting because what's the what you know i I would love to i would love to know what it was that sent so-and-so away was it the moabite was it just having another two mouths to potentially take care of because there is some sort of like if naomi's selling this she's going to get money which potentially fends for her for the rest of her days maybe um, I do remember that part of the um, pro- problem with these re- redeeming things is that the question was when it could be redeemed back. And it would be a bad business deal to redeem towards the end of when the, the you know, the reset. Years, yeah. yeah, the 50 years. Like if you redeemed on the yeah. 48th year, you'd pay full price for it and get it for two years. Yeah. So what is it that sends so-and-so a way that keeps so-and-so disinterested. Yeah. And is it, right, so is it is it Ruth? Is it the extra mouths to feed? Is it simply that it complicates what happens to his stuff? Is it that he's like, I'm not, it's too messy for me? I feel like it, it doesn't seem like it could be the extra mouths to feed. And only because if he has enough money to buy this land and redeem it, he obviously is not doing too poorly. And he sees this as, a, a good investment because if you have more land you can create more grain so now all of a sudden you have all this extra grain two extra mouths to feed shouldn't be that big of a deal if you have more more ability to produce well i should result in more money for him right right so or more resources and nothing else right so he's he's not, if that's what it is he's not doing math Right. There are some, I don't know, there are some people I know who have plenty and are scared of not having enough. Yes. Um, And that's what, you know, so that would be a nuance to this, like why he wouldn't want another milk. That's true. He has enough, 
Yeah. Um, right. What are the things given to him for? Right. <laughs> and he says they're from it's his inheritance, right? It's, I mean, my own is the, the translation we get here. What does yours have? Yeah. It's the it's inheritance not, of me or, or my. Yeah. This is, I, lest I spoil my estate. Yeah. But um, I, I think that given the, the possible purpose of the narrative, if it's set in as, like, if it was written, I heard someone was talking. This was probably orally passed down. It only ended up in its final form, possibly around the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. But still, if the if part of the motivation in writing this story down at that time is in order to remind the people that marriage with foreigners foreigners isn't always bad, it seems like the most likely reason would be that because she's a Moabite. Sure. Yeah. Um that this would spoil his this would spoil his line hmm. to have a Moabite woman and a Moabite uh, child. So someone had heard one of the other possible reasons for this story being written is in defense of David. That yeah. people would have been questioning his lineage in that he has a Moabite in his lineage and it might be pointing towards, well, hey, Having a Moabite in your lineage isn't always a bad thing. Well, right. So, and again, it could be both those things. Like, it could have been a story that the story started getting circulated around the time of David as a defense of his lineage and who Ruth actually was. And then it gets written down on paper in the time of Ezra in order to reestablish that marriage with foreigners isn't always a bad thing. So, like, both those things can exist as reasons. Right. Like... One doesn't rule out the other. Well, and the midrashes here are fascinating because there, there's two two really strange things that are that occur and and make some sense too, in within like a historical pro David, you know, almost like a, a polemic argument, yep. like for right. So you've got that um, <clears throat> this idea that Ruth and um, um, Orpah are potentially daughters of King Eglon of Moab. Okay, so they're royal. David is now the king of Moab. <laughs> he's oh. the he's the rightful heir of of Moab too, um, which is a bold claim, and and it that makes that makes a bunch of adds to the curiosities because part of the language in the the Ruth midrash is the mas, the, the Messiah out of Moab. Yeah, like that's that's the phrase that's curiously used sure. within the midrash, and and the way it's explained is that yeah 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 because David is out of Ruth, who is out of uh, out of Moab, but but it's this way of bringing peoples together, <laughs> of not only maybe justifying David's ability to reign and rule over multiple kingdoms, but then also into this like massive thing where there's a there's 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 a king overall. Okay, when Jesus asked the little girl to rise up, mm. it's the same word. So Talitha Kum. Talitha Kum, yeah. Where's? Um, do you remember where that is? Was Jarius a form? No, he's a leader of the local synagogue. Okay, Dang. centurion's daughter or something. Oh, well, because, Jairus. Yeah, because then it would have been, it would have been a foreigner, a foreigner that he was asking to. Kum. Because that, that word kum, rise up, is the word here, to raise up the dead. 
to raise up the name of the dead man on his estate is mm. Coombe. So it just triggered for me the Talitha that Coombe. story. Yeah. Mm. To raise up what is dead. We see Jesus doing that. Well, it's the word that's used in, it's the word that's used throughout for resurrection in, in the, um, in the Hebrew scriptures in the old Testament. Right. So it's, I mean, it's definitely talking. It's, it's certainly talking about new life. It's right. what, and I was reading something yesterday that talked about how the problem with using with well, the problem with engaging with the word death and dead in the old Testament is that death is such a fluid concept there. Yeah. That for us, it's not, we mean when the heart stops, like when the heart is no longer beating, somebody is dead. Yeah. And and it it's more flexible, so right. It can be used spiritually. It could be used metaphorically. It can be used in all of these different ways. And you have to actually like drill into the context, yeah, to get get the best notion of what they're. Why are you smiling? I'm just thinking about Ahsoka. <laughs> Spoiler alert: She Spoiler. dies. <laughs> she goes to purgatory. I mean, yeah, essentially, that's she's underwater for like hours. Baptism. I mean, li- listen, if if you're watching, okay, I'm I've been stopped recording. If you're watching Ahsoka and you haven't caught the deeply spiritual, I would say Judeo, you know, Jewish Christian and more, but the ones I'm familiar, I see my traditions all over what's happening. I mean, she changes clothes after death. She's she was in dark attire before, and when she's she dons the white robes of. Yes. <laughs> it's so great. She's in the mouth of a beast to you know to tr- to to transit to cross over from one galaxy to a another. Space whale, come a on, space Jonah. Whale. Right now, they're not necessarily in like the right order, right. Um, but yeah, it's it's marvel. I love it. Uh, if you don't, that's not my problem. Right. Not you. I just mean you. Sorry. No, you Star know Wars. I love it. <laughs> um, okay, where were we? Well, okay. You were talking. You were you were rabbit trailing beautifully, yeah. going. Well, how does this? Right. You were. I think. I think what you just did was beautiful because it was like, man, this smells like what's happening with Jesus and Jairus's daughter. Yes. Where he's saying, you Talitha know, Talitha Kum. and. Which means little girl rise up. Little girl rise up. Ha! And this is how we want to read scripture. Yeah. And and we want to go. And and when we went and we looked, they were like, well, kind right. It wasn't the perfect fit, but what it did fit is this thing that God's always doing to us, for us, with us, on behalf of us, through us where we're always being invited to be these types of people, like going back, right? Like this is how, what Ruth is to Naomi is what we're constantly being invited to do. When what Boaz is to Ruth and Naomi is constantly what we're being invited to do. What Boaz does to so-and-so, right? It's not just a setup, but Boaz is actually inviting him to participate in being a, an agent of goodness, of faithfulness, of redemption, of life, of into the thing. And the, and the person for whatever reason, isn't ready for it. Right. Good, bad, ugly. We don't know. We just know just like you and for me and you and everybody listening, when we're not ready, there are multiple, there are multiple reasons why we're not ready. And some of them are very understandable. And some of them are ones that are deeply heartbreaking. And on top of all of that, it's always within us to turn from death towards life, to invite others out of death towards life. 
And there's just a question of what sort of cost can we bear for ourselves at right. that moment. Well, and I, I was thinking as I was reading this that where's this guy been, this so-and-so redeemer? Because either he's not been around or he's not paying attention. Because the whole town's been a buzz talking about Naomi returning with this Moabite woman. And it's been a while because the harvest is now over. Well, you got to be paying attention. Ruth has been gleaning in his fields and the the word of her deeds and her kindness, her hesed to Naomi has been spreading among the town for months at this point, we can presume, if not months, at least weeks. And and here, this guy doesn't know that this woman comes with the field. So either he's not thinking through what redemption of the land means because he hasn't been paying attention to the Torah or he's not paying attention in the town or both. He is not aware in the way that we ought to be of yes. what is going on, what is the society, the opportunity, what is asked of us, what we're supposed to be doing living as the people of God, he is not, he's showing himself to be unaware. He's not engaged. He has no idea what's going on in his community. Right. In the common life they all share together. Yeah. And again, that's, I mean, just scooped up in that observation, right? That like, it's, he's concerned about his inheritance. He is concerned about me. Yeah. Uh, not me. He's, <laughs> he's concerned about the almighty him. Right. Um, Which sounds very American. Like yeah. we, we so often we can look at especially these really old texts like Ruth and not see ourselves in the story but in a society where we're so concerned about our own inheritance and Ugh. and listen I'm not I'm not saying don't be responsible for your future because we do live in a world where our society does not take care of us you do need to do some planning for your future that's not an irresponsible thing to do but when you do so at the sake of others, at the, or at the expense of others, then maybe there's a problem. <laughs> like, can we be more like Boaz, where we're taking care of our future and the future of those around us all at the same time? Yes. Amen. That he's, he's clearly not only concerned with himself, he's concerned about the wholeness of the community. And of those in his extended family. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting that. Sorry, I got a little preachy there. No, no. It's it's interesting that like it feels like we're talking about a couple really helpful ways to read scripture in life giving ways. So we talked a little bit about how like a first time a word is used, which is hard to do if you're not do it working within the original languages because. It, they don't the translation translators for obvious re, well for reasonable reasons don't keep the word being the same word every time it's used because it doesn't always work like that right so you've got like the first use but then you have also these motifs or these patterns or these things that show up over and over and my first thought when so and so when that was what the name this person was given or not given the name not given my first thought was to return to Exodus where you have the one who's never named in the story is Pharaoh. Yeah. 
right? You even have the Hebrew midwives who get a name and get a future yeah. and get an inheritance in their name. Then you have Moses and you have Miriam and you have, um, you have, does Pharaoh's daughter get a name in the text or is it just she in? She doesn't have a name in the text. She doesn't have a name in the text. Um, but you have but these. Only women are named up until the point that Moses is given a name. Right. It's So there's so many parallels to Ruth. It's about redemption. It's about, I mean, it's, so, but, so. My first thought was like, oh, this person's left unnamed like Pharaoh. And what was it that Pharaoh was most interested in was the Pharaoh was most interested in maintaining his wealth and his power or yeah. his power and his wealth. And the same, the two Building things are the same. Building up his kingdom. Building up his kingdom. His inheritance was his main concern and he doesn't get a name. And I know that that's not true in scripture, you know, that, that only the good people get named. Right. However, when someone's not given a name... And everybody else is pay attention, right? Pay attention. Like he's not called to be one of, he's not one of the elders. He's not one of the, right. He, he is an unnamed, he is intentionally left unnamed with this obscure word. And he sounds like he has a heart of Pharaoh where he's interested in, you know, dominantly interested in what's good for him. Right. And he's not a Boaz, right? He's not a Moses. He's not a, a, a Miriam. Um, he's not a Pharaoh's daughter. He's not a Shifra, the a Pua, the the maid servant, or the uh, the midwives who yeah. helped birth the Hebrew children after Pharaoh's edict. He's not those people. He's not interested in the helping, the raising up of those around him. He doesn't understand that when we all do better, we all do better. He doesn't get that the rising tide lifts all boats. He thinks, in order to win, to do well, to live the good life, he has to be above other people. He has to be that. On the top of the pyramid. Right. And. Bummer. Yeah. Like, what do we miss out on? When that's the way we view our life. Yeah. I mean, this guy could have had a name. Could have been part of this, this beautiful story in this beautiful way. Right. Well, and Boaz ends up becoming the great grandfather of the greatest king in Israel's history. Like and his name is remembered even though his the child is technically in the line of Elimelech. Yeah, right. And not him. Right. But his name is the one that gets remembered. Because he was willing to forego it, because he right. was willing to lay that down. Right. And his name is remembered not because God loves Boaz better than other people. His name is not remembered because he's like the king of, uh, it's like notoriety or celebrity or whatever the thing, we're immersed in. His name is remembered, so we'll tell his story and remember the good things, the things to celebrate, the things to be about in our world, right? It's not this like, oh, Boaz built such a name for himself. It's like, no, the story of Boaz is a story to be remembered. Yeah. And this name is, it's a good name. Right. Well, in that one of the lessons we get from this book of Ruth is that to be like, Boaz's name means strength, right? I believe. Mm -mm. I probably don't, I don't know. Um, I don't have it written down in here, but you knew at one point. Yeah, I did. I did at one point. See, <laughs> that's um, how it works. I don't remember everything, um, and that's not what it's about. But I believe his name has to do with strength, and um, and he's called a man of character, a man of worth. Yeah, there's might. Um, 
in him. Yeah. And what does his might look like? Does his might look like power over? Does his might look like acquiring for himself? Right. Or does his might look like laying laying himself down and the potential of his inheritance down for the sake of others? And that sounds a lot like Jesus. Sure does. And it sounds a lot like what we're asked to do. And so to be to be a man of strength is to look more like Boaz mm. than so and so. And we just get such a mixed up message of what what it looks like to be a man of strength or a woman of character or a woman a worthy woman. And yet we have this picture of both here. And it's not necessarily what we would expect it to be. Like we saw Ruth last week in our discussion, stepping forward and doing some kind of questionable and suspect things in order to get Boaz's attention that would be frowned upon in a society where purity is super important and being above reproach is super important. Yeah, she. And a woman taking matters into her own hands, like, is not a thing that's supposed to happen back then. She walked, w- w- she walked up to the line. Oh, yeah. And in some people's opinion, crossed over the line. Sure. To sleep at a man's feet that you're not married to? Come on. Scandalous. <laughs> and yet, these are p- characters that are lifted up and called, like, men and women of good character and worthy. It's not problematic to try to survive. I mean, it's just not. I saw this great quote the other day. I'm going to botch it, but I'm going to get the idea of it around that said, what if we, what if the question wasn't, when is it okay? Or is it morally okay to steal bread to feed your starving family? But the question of it isn't, is it morally okay to hoard bread when people are starving? Right. So we were talking about a minute ago about it's not wrong in this day and age to have savings. And because of how society works, right? There's just not a, our culture, our society doesn't work in such a way where we're not agrarian, right? Right. Like you have to save for retirement. Right. I don't just, my son does not inherit the land I live on. And with the expectation of caring for me into old age. I mean, I I hope my kids have some (laughs) level of expectation of helping care for me in my old age. But we're not putting that. We don't put that on our son. It's just different. It's just different. Right. He's going to have his own life and his own career and his own choices that to do what he loves with his life. Right. And when he inherits your house and your land and he takes care of you and Chris into old age or, you know, what doesn't have to live with him until... (laughs) She gets married. I'll yeah. bleep out the name. Sorry. <laughs> right. But like, it's just different. Yeah. But there is also a layer here where the accumulation of stuff at a certain level becomes hoarding and keeping resources from circulating. Right. Where you have more than you could ever possibly need. Right. Yeah. And you see some people that have done really well and been very successful and have a lot of money who give so generously and you see others who don't. And I'm fairly convinced that many of the people I, I have conversations with that not all, 
like you said, there are, but many of the people I have conversations with that advocate for some version of like the redistribution of wealth on a, a very flat, like they, if they were on the top, they would be arguing against it, right? Like it's, it's opportunism that guides somebody's economic beliefs, how, how a society should work economically is mostly influenced by where they're at. Yeah. You don't meet many people that are willing to give up their privilege and you don't meet many people who are, um, advocating for others to give up their privilege when it would cost them. Yeah. It's, it's the, it's selfishness. It's, it's scarcity. It's fear. Again, it's not wrong to want to survive. It's not, but, but at a point we get sick when we think we need, um, it's sick to, it's sick to flourish while we watch other people languish completely. And at least, at least in our culture, we tend to see that, well, if I've flourished, it's because of my own doing. That, because I have, I have worked hard for this, and that's not untrue for most people. You have worked hard, right. but you also probably started out with on the top step. There's, I, it's yeah. not it, you're you're standing on a foundation of privilege that, like, you didn't actually start at the ground level or at the same level as other people around you. You, like, if you're being honest, I mean, we're. Honestly, everyone who lives in America has a leg up on a whole bunch of other people in the world just by the virtue of where you're born has an impact. And then the family you're born into and the color skin you're born into makes a difference. And when we fail to see that, that our own privilege comes from like just things that we had no control over. It's privilege. Like, can we see that or not? That's the definition of it, right? right? It's... It's that which was granted to you without any merit. Yeah. Or Again, do I choose to dig, ignore that privilege and dig my heels in and say, well, I earned this and I shouldn't have to share it with anyone else? Or do we recognize that, yeah, I've worked hard to earn a lot of what I have, but I stand on the shoulders of other things. And the things you've been entrusted with are, you've been entrusted with on behalf of everyone else. Yes. It's, I mean, that's what it all gets right down right. to. And it's. And it all works out when that's the, it moves towards wholeness when that's the mindset. Right. When the mindset is what I have is, is stewarded for the good of all. Right. Then we're in, we're in a good place. Yeah. Because I've done well, because of the privilege that I started with, how do, how do I live right. in light of that in a way that blesses others? It's really interesting in this story. I think we've transcended the fourth chapter to yeah. doing like overarching <clears throat> almost takeaways. Sure. But it's really interesting to notice, especially in the context or juxtaposed against so and so, that that Boaz and Ruth in particular. I haven't quite figured out how Naomi fits into this. I'm sure she does. But content, happy, satisfied, fulfilled people are people who both understand generosity and and and, and by genero- understand generosity I mean both giving it and receiving it and understand work or effort or you know participating getting your hands dirty right Naomi's Ruth Ruth is not sitting at home on her hands waiting 
expecting to get a handout thinking I did these good things for Naomi. These are things that I'm owed. She goes out into the field and while she's out into the field, while she's out doing what she can, this is where these, these good gifts come to her, right? Boaz could clearly not be, I mean, he wouldn't be Boaz, but he could clearly not be out working in his land. Like I would expect so-and-so is not out in his land. He's not eating meals with the reapers, right? Like, He's living off of his land a certain way. And now maybe I'm being too, too difficult, but, but right. Like, like Boaz is there. He's involved. He's engaged. Um, and he's loved and he loves, right. The Lord be with you and, and, and the Lord bless you. Like this is the exchange between Boaz and his, and his workers. So you have, you have both people existing with being generous with what they have, right. They're not just shedding it and saying, you know, stuff is evil. They're going, no, stuff is neither evil nor good. What I do with the stuff, the things, the opportunities, the privileges, the hard privilege and the soft privilege is what matters. And I also have to put hard work into my life. I have to, right. I have to develop it. I have to tend it. I have to guard in my life. Right. Yeah. Sorry. No, I love that because it, and I also think that tending and gardening, (laughs) your own life and the things that you've been given. Boaz is such a great example of that because he doesn't hoard it just for himself. He guards it and tends it in order to be a blessing to others. And, and he chooses to love this foreign woman who's an outsider in every possible way. And not just, not just an outsider, but a Moabite who is like the, the worst of all the outsiders, according to this time period in Israel. Um, because of how they because of their origins, they're looked at with a special disdain at this time in Israel. Right. And he chooses to love her and bring her into his household to raise back up to life what was dead through her. Hmm. I, I love verse 11. All the people at the gate and the elders answered, we are, may the Lord make the woman no longer the Moabite woman. Right. She's just, she's just a, she's a person, right? She's shed this outsider thing. Yeah. Make the one who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built up the house of Israel. So this like shedding of outsider to being welcomed in, she's welcomed in. Yeah. But she's also... The calling is the building up of the people of God. Yeah. May she build up the people of God. Right. There are a bunch of ways. There are, there are several paths to being welcomed in and to not being an outsider. And not all of them are really good in life-giving. One of the ways, well, what, what we see happen here in the hope for future for Ruth is that an insider means she's about the life of the community. Does that make sense? Yeah. Should we do a little wrap up? Yeah. I mean, I don't even know what to wrap up. That's the thing. I know. I did laugh when I was reading the end here. Right? Like, (laughs) uh, Naomi took, uh, so, uh, 15-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, 14. The woman said, Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not withheld from you a redeemer from you today. May his name be perpetuated in Israel. So it's talking about the birth of the son of Boaz yeah. and Ruth Obed. 
He will renew your life and sustain your old age, for he is born of your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better than seven sons. Naomi took the child, held it to her bosom, and she became its foster mother. And the women neighbors gave him a name, saying, A son is born to Naomi. Who named him Obed? The women. The people. <laughs> yeah. Meddlers. That's, that was my first thought was like, geez, cut them some space. Let the parents name their own kid. Um, which, of course, is, you know. But I think this is, it's beautiful that the townspeople name right. Obed because they, it shows that the actions of Boaz have spread <laughs> to the rest of the community. Yeah. Like the whole community is getting on board with this because of the faithfulness of Boaz. I think, I mean, perhaps that's a good way to close this thing is just to be, I don't know. I hope that, I hope that this, these weeks of us studying Ruth has been beneficial to those listening as it has been to us studying it and going through it. Um, There are so many lessons and takeaways and uh, obviously, and certainly there's more than what we have been able to cover, but man, I hope that people walk away wanting to be a little more like Boaz and a little more like Ruth seeking the wholeness of Mm. everyone in the community even if they're outsiders because we need to remember that there's no outside of inside Mm -hmm. it's a whole bunch of people generally loving each other with all their heart, soul, mind and strength Right, and the whole community benefits well, the ones who are listening. Well, the ones, yeah, sure. But there's at least the potential for the whole community to be blessed and to, to benefit from this. So one of the words for congregation or community is the same word um, for witness. Yeah. And hold on, I'm going to pull it up here. A dot. Yes. And and it's those who are assembled. Yeah. So, right, community is something you must participate in to belong to. Yeah. It If you don't belong to it, it doesn't mean you have been, okay, in good places. It doesn't mean you've been excluded. It means you've excluded yourself. It means that you haven't participated. You haven't shown up. You haven't assembled You've been borne witness to the lives of the people around you. So there's, right, like, who's in the community? Well, the ones who are in the community. The ones who are showing up to the life around them. And you can be present and not be present. Yeah. Well, we don't know what we're doing next, do we? We don't. We're going to chat about that. All right. Toodles. Have a great week.